We thank you, Lord, that we are just pressing forward in what your will is for our church. We ask you right now, Father, that you would just manifest greater. Open our ears that we might hear you, God. Open our hearts that we might receive you in this morning. We desire you in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody say amen. Amen. I'm excited. Will you turn me in your Bibles to Matthew? I'm in chapter 5. I got two verses, rather three verses for you that I want to speak about today. And we're, we're talking about, somebody say, a Jesus revolution. We're talking about how, how if we were to get things right, that there could be a revolution of the Holy Spirit inside of Bridgeport, inside of Connecticut, that can sweep across our state where we can see lives changed and differences made. Amen? Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and the Word of God just says this. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall, somebody say shall, be satisfied. Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. One more scripture, Matthew 11, verse 12, and I will go through these during this course of this sermon. It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. When Jesus walked upon the earth, in and of himself, Jesus, he caused personal revolutions to happen. Now, we talked last week about revolution and the, the original definition of revolution, the original Latin word, what it means is to uh, how a planet revolves around the sun. And once a planet, it takes 365 days for a planet to make its complete course around the sun, and that's called a revolution. Somebody say a revolution. Now, when Jesus walked upon this earth, he caused personal human revolutions. You see, it's ironic that the sun, in and of itself, is what causes a planet to rotate around it. The gravitational pull of a planet keeps, or rather of the sun, keeps a planet in order. It is because of this gravitational pull we have seasons like spring, summer, fall, winter. Somebody say amen for spring. Life on this planet would not be possible if it was not for the gravitational pull of the sun. Scientifically, the earth would travel in one direction if it was not for the sun and its gravitational pull. Somebody said, thank God for gravity. Life on the planet would not be possible without our sun. At the center of our galaxy is our sun, and everything in our galaxy revolves around our sun. Like our physical sun... Jesus, the Son of God, when he's placed in the center of our lives, when your life revolves around Jesus, when your affections are towards Jesus, when you serve Jesus, the Son of God properly, he puts in order your life. He puts your life into order. He puts the seasons of your life into place. Without Jesus at the center, without the proper alignment in your life, you will not have life. You will just be living. 
As Jesus walked across Israel preaching for three years, people gravitated to Jesus by the tens of thousands. Over three years, hundreds of thousands of people gravitated and were drawn to Jesus. His message was the same as his cousins, John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm going to repeat some things from last week over and over. You're going to hear me say it for the next two weeks, that over the course of the next year to six months to a year, we're going to see a great revival throughout our land. We're going to see a, a great recentering and refocusing of people's lives to center around Jesus and not their selfish desires. The first phase, as we talked of last week, is the phase where we get sick of religion and we get tired of playing church. Get tired of being a believers who can do great things but never do great things. We should get tired of being believers who've never seen a miracle, of being believers who never see God do things that are great. And we get back to being centered on Jesus. For when we put Jesus at the heart of everything, he'll hold you together. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. It says, He is before all things, talking about Jesus, and he holds all things together. If your life is falling apart, Christ is not holding you together. He's not at the center of your life. Matthew, the fifth chapter, in the sixth verse, Jesus declared on his sermon on the mount, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Righteousness. He did not say blessed are those who hunger and thirst for nice clothes and great cars and a comfortable life. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness in church. Let me tell you, when you hunger and thirst after righteousness, it pushes you into uncomfortable positions in your life. If you feel uncomfortable in your life, I came to let you know you're in the right position. If you feel like things aren't always well put together, I came to tell you you're in the right position. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, the favor and the blessing of God follows those who hunger for God and thirst for God. This hunger and this thirst will come from a deep-seated place in your heart. We're seeing thousands upon thousands across the nation having the same reports, churches who say, I'm not being fed spiritually. I'm not being fed. I'm not being used. My spiritual muscles are not being exercised. We've become accustomed to playing church. The word of God no longer penetrates our hearts when it comes from the pulpits because there's no hunger and thirst for righteousness. Psalms 38, 4, it says, taste and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Both in churches and in their personal lives, there's no culture of people feeding their spirit. No culture of prayer life. No culture of, of, of seeking after God in the privacy of your home, but rather he's reduced to five minutes in the morning, a 10-minute ride to work, and there's no hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's no hunger to see God move in others' lives. It's a, it's a desire to see God move in us. But there's coming a generation who are growing tired of religious ways. 
tired of church as usual, tired of seeing God not move and down. It's time for, for the generation to rise up and to come out of hiding. This generation who's not limited by age and they're not limited by, by their knowledge of God, but they're only geared and pushed by their passion and propelled by the things they faced in their life. The, your life should not be an excuse as to why you can't serve God, but it should be the reason he pulled you through. I'm so tired of someone trying to tell me how bad their life is. People out there have it worse. And, and I don't care if you've been through the worst stuff in life. It should be the fact that you're still alive that has pushed you to God. It should be a joy that is in you. But we focus on what we don't have. We focus on the negative. But there's coming a generation who's rising up. Across Connecticut, across Bridgeport, across America who desire God, this nagging feeling is in them when they wake up in the morning and they say to themselves, there must be more to life than this. There must be more than this nine to five monotonous job, than flipping burgers at a burger shack, than, than just doing little things. And, and there must be something of eternal value that my God has called me to. There's coming a generation who will be known as a nameless, faceless, placeless tribe who all they hear is the voice of the Lord. Do you want to be a part of that generation of God chasers who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Jesus declared in Matthew 6, or rather 5 verse 6, that those who hunger and thirst, they shall be filled. It's a promise of God. He's, he's preaching that sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, one of his first great major sermons. And he says, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The Spirit of God is drawing people in. Arising in us from the depths of our souls is a hunger for God. John 6, 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That sounds contradictory because he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. But then on the other hand, he says, well, if you come to me, you won't hunger and you won't thirst. What, he, what he's saying is, I am the bread of life. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If you would just chase me, I'll always be there to feed you. If you would just open the word, my spirit would never leave you. It's always there for you. If you would chase after me and begin to have a hunger for God, this hunger and thirsting after righteousness will lead you into a true understanding of the grace of God, the freedom that is in Christ Jesus, the grace of God, the liberating freedom. When we begin to understand the love that he has for you, the forgiveness that he gives to you, righteousness will produce, righteousness will produce trust in God. It will produce moral and virtuous living. Righteousness, by definition, is being moral and being virtuous. And, and if you seek after God, it will produce. Have you ever been, have you ever been to, to maybe a coconut tree, maybe in Puerto Rico? Where are my Puerto Ricans at? Amen? Amen? And have you ever, have you ever been to a coconut tree? And, and the coconut tree has what on it? Coconuts. That, that's why it's a coconut tree, because it has coconuts. Have you ever gone to a coconut tree and saw no coconuts? And said, tree, where are the coconuts? Well, I tried. I just couldn't do it. Couldn't seem to push it out. I, I, I couldn't seem to press it out. It's just, eh. 
And then the, the tree next to it is full of coconuts. It's just full of coconuts everywhere. Coconuts here, coconuts there. I went to DR, and those guys can climb those coconut trees like it's nothing. Like if it's a telephone pole with spikes. Because they have those feet that come from, like, the mountains. And they're just, like, climbing these trees, and they're cutting down coconuts. And one tree has no coconuts, and one tree has a ton of coconuts. Well, we obviously know the ground isn't the problem. We obviously know if one tree is getting fed, the other one has an issue. What I'm trying to say is I'm tired of Christians who can't bear Christ-like fruit. Well, I tried living like God, but oh, what do you mean you try? Either you do it or you don't. Either you're going to bear fruit or you're not. But I ain't never seen a tree that said I, I tried bearing fruit. But maybe your roots weren't deep enough. Maybe your roots I heard a story of a little boy named Johnny, and, and Johnny went to bed one night, and Johnny was in his room, and his mom was in her room, and, 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 about, and about midnight, all you heard was boom. And, and Johnny starts crying, and the mom, the mom goes into Johnny's room, and Johnny's crying, and he's like, Mom, I found the bed, and she picked him back up and put him in the bed. The next night, same thing about midnight, boom. And Johnny fell down again, and mom's like, Johnny, get back in the bed. And they go back in the bed, and this happens for about three months. Three months, Johnny's just falling out the bed. And one night, he says, Mama, I don't want to fall out the bed no more. And she said, if you got tired of falling out the bed, maybe you should go in deeper. Maybe if you're tired of falling out of God's presence, go in deeper. If you're tired of not bearing fruit, go in deeper. If you're tired of falling back into sin, go in deeper. Tell somebody next to you, you need to get deep into God's presence. Psalms, the 42nd chapter. One of the psalmists, his name is one of the sons of Korah. He's been driven from the presence of God. The Bible doesn't tell us why, but he's been kicked out of the temple. And he's there, and he's like, he says in Psalms 42, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, the living God. Where can I go and meet him? And he's giving this allegory, this metaphorical view of a deer being chased by a hunter. And as this deer is chased by the hunter, it, it, it gets thirsty. And it says, you see, you see, here's the thing. The hunter goes by the water because he knows the deer is at the water. And so the deer is running away from the water. And so the psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water, meaning as the deer desires to get closer into the presence of the water, as the deer, but it's being driven away because of things in its life, as it gets, wants to be closer, as it desires it, because the water's over there, but the hunter's trying to kill the deer. And he says, I can't go over there because I might die. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul draws out to you because I'm being pushed from your presence presence by problems in my life. I wish I had an honest church today. But you feel pushed from the presence of God because you don't have Jesus at the center. And because, you see, nothing moves the earth off of its rotation except the storm on the earth. Maybe you missed that. Nothing in history has moved the church off of the access of the, of the or rather the earth off of its access and its rotation except when we had that tsunami out in Japan, it moved it off of its access. Time shifted in that moment. I don't even know if you know that. About two milliseconds of the atomic clock were lost. It's only when a storm on the inside can affect the way you rotate around the sun. 
Because the sun don't change. The sun ain't going to die a couple trillion years from now. We won't even be around. What I'm trying to say is Jesus don't change. If your rotation is wrong, there's a storm on the inside. There's a storm on the inside. Somebody needs a, a, a revolution in Jesus Christ. Somebody needs to draw into the presence of God. Somebody needs to say, it's not, it's not the sun. It's not the dirt. I'm not trying to bear fruit. I don't want to go deeper. I'm not thirsting for the water. I like living the way I'm living. And the storm rages inside of you. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. There's coming a generation of people who are, who are desiring and, 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 and wanting the presence of God. Have you gotten to the place in your walk with God that you could die without him? Have you gotten to the place in your walk with God that not praying for at least 30 minutes in the morning doesn't, it just messes up your day? Have you gotten to the place in your life where if you don't worship him, you just don't feel right? Have you gotten to the place in your life where, where if you, you walk to somebody who doesn't know Christ, all you can do is shout about the goodness of your God? Have you gotten to the place in your life where you're comfortable sharing your faith? Because, you know, it's, it's like women, women, women are funny because women, when they experience something they love, they got to tell all their friends. They have this stupid thing called Pinterest. And it's like a secret way for women to share their own ideas of how to do stuff that nobody else would do. They call it arts and craft projects, and, and, and it's not stupid because some of this stuff is pretty cool. But, but you don't see men having a mantrist. A woman, she gets her hair done, and she want to tell all her friends about her hair. She want to tell all her friends where she goes, oh, salam this or salam that, or go to this place. And I went there. You never see a guy like, you know, oh, my God, I got such a good cut. Come down to Al's Millennium Barbershop. It's just hot out here. We don't do that. We, we, we're not about that life. Have you gotten to the point where God is so good you can't help but share about him? Have you gotten to the point in your life where God is so magnificent in your life that he radiates around you? Just before we came up in service, uh, Stephen drew near to my brother Reuben and, and he said, oh boy, you smell good. And, 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 and we were like, oh, all right. I mean, it was slightly awkward, but it was cool. I'm just kidding. It was, it was, but what happened was, you got to understand, is that when he drew near, he was able to, to smell him. And I want to know when people draw near to you, do they smell God on you? Do they smell the presence of the living God? Do they realize something is different? And not about your shape up either, fellas. I'm talking about a real difference in your life. Have you been to the place in your life where God is all that matters? We're not reading the word of God unsettles your spirit. Have you gotten to the point of hungering and thirsting to live after righteousness and abandoning things that don't please God? Are you hungry for God? Is your soul in need of God to the point where you can't take another step without his strength in your life? Point of desperation where you're not leaning on your own strength in life. You're not leaning on your own ways, your own knowledge. Blessed is the man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He shall satisfy you. He shall break out in your life. He shall anoint you. He shall give you strength to overcome. Your entire life should be dependent and centered 
of God. God's looking for a young generation to rise up to be God chasers, willing to follow his word and his will. I speak to you young adults in this room today that you can be a catalyst for Jesus moving across your city and across your neighborhood and in your family and in your state. When you let the revolution happen in your life, When you're centered on Jesus, when the sun is, it has the, when the, rather the earth has the sun at the center of its revolution, its rotation, its access, it does not have to say, hey, sun, could you help me out this year? Get around. Could you, could you help me out uh, to, to go around you this year? The sun does it automatically. When you center yourself on Jesus and he's the center of your life, you revolve around him automatically. He gives you the strength to fly around automatically. The seasons of your life shift automatically. Oh, I wish I had a church in here today to preach to. A type of commitment to Christ is needed. A God-chasing commitment, not something done with your mouth, but with your heart and your actions. All around us, there is a need for a generation of believers to rise up in power and authority. At some point, if you want me to stop preaching about rising up, maybe you should just rise up. It's time for a generation of Christians to come out of hiding. From Matthew 6.25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear It's not life more than food. Is not life in the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? You see how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor. They don't spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these flowers. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the ungodly run after these things. The ungodly chase down those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, the clothes, the food, the house, the wife, the car, all those things shall be added unto you. If you would center your heart and your life on God. You see, the the problem is the focus of our life is about work. The focus of our life is about our job. The focus... It's about your clothes and what you're going to wear. And some of you spend more time in the morning trying to figure out what you're going to wear than figure out what God wants you to do. If the focus of your life can shift from your own desires and your own needs, God will provide. I'm a living testimony that God will provide. I have not had a day of lack in my life when I center my life on Jesus. Somebody say, God will provide. Let your life revolve around the kingdom of God. He said, seek first the kingdom, the kingdom. Seek first that personal revolution. Seek first putting God at the center. Seek that first, and everything else shall be added unto you. Whatever is in your life that occupies your mind and takes away from God, replace it with pursuing God. Seek, he says, seek ye first. 
God has a habit like God can't lose. God cannot be second. It's impossible for God to be second. He's first at all times in everything. He is first. And it says here, seek ye first the kingdom of God. God is obsessed with being first in your life. When God is not first in your life, you see, let me, let me backtrack. He says, seek ye first. Somebody shout first. Okay, somebody shout first. The kingdom of God, right? He says, seek first the kingdom and all these things shall be given to you. Right, 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 right. You with me? Somebody say, I'm with you. So if you seek the kingdom second, those things won't be given to you. If you seek God third, then you're going to have lack and your, your kids won't have clothes and you won't have food in your cupboard and you don't know what you're going to eat. You're always going to struggle, not have gas in your car. And you're going to work for your car rather than work for anything else. I wish I had somebody who was honest who knew what I was talking about. Who you find yourself struggling all the time and you never can get ahead and you're saying, God, why? God, why? Seek first the kingdom of God. There's got to be a personal revolution before you can change anybody else you got to change yourself. Somebody say, a personal revolution. You see, in Matthew 6, Jesus is also still preaching from the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about why worry? Why have anxiety? Why constantly be worried about everything in your and around your life? Why worry about your housing situation? Why worry where you're going to live? Why worry? Why worry all the time? Why worry and be anxious? You cannot add an hour to your life when you worry or when you're anxious. You can't do it, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything you're worried about that's what he's saying everything you worry about will be added to you when you put God first church let me tell you putting God first does not mean just being like you know super saved reading the word all day that's not that's not what putting God first means it means putting him at the forefront of all of your thoughts I'm not talking about being super saved and like praying for 13 hours out of the day, working for two and, and waiting on God. I'm not talking about quitting your job and saying, well, I'm going to go full time for Jesus who provide all my needs. I'm not telling you to be super saved. I'm telling you to put God at the top of your agenda every day of your life. Seek him first in the morning and seek him first at night and he will bless you. But there's got to be a centering of yourself on Jesus. Too often we're distracted by the things that don't matter. Things that aren't even sinful, but don't allow you to serve God like you should. I guarantee the biggest reason you can't do more for God is because of the things in your life. You wish you had more time, but we're just too busy. Our schedules are too packed. This Jesus, Jesus Reverend, will be characterized by people who put down their own agendas and pick up the work of the kingdom. Surrendering to God's will will so profoundly change you. He desires to be sought first in all things. Realize seeking righteousness produces the kingdom. Matthew 5, 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Matthew 6, it's still the same sermon. It's just chopped up in different chapters. He says, and seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The righteousness of God produces the kingdom in you. You should desire God at the center of your life. Sometimes we get too caught up in church. We get too caught up in working at the church and doing this. Some people aren't caught up enough at working, and some people are too caught up. There's got to be a balance in our lives. There's got to be a balance in our lives. Life will spring forth from you 
Don't you realize when you center yourself on God, the seasons of your life will be on cue? You will know when there's a season of lack that God is coming with a season of new covering. Just like when the winter comes, you will know, you will know. Some of you have been in a spiritual winter for like 30 years. Maybe 30 days or 30 months. But if you were living in the presence of God, with him at the center, what will begin to happen is, is you'll know the seasons are coming. If I have 10 days of bad, then 10 days of good are coming right afterwards because God operates in seasons. God operates in seasons. Somebody say amen. Because the earth is caught in the gravitational pull of the sun. We know how to tell time. We know when summer is coming. We know when those seasons will change. We know when the tide is coming in. We know. All because of the sun. We know. I'm telling you, church, if you would put Jesus, the Son of God, at the center, you would know when the times are coming. You would know that now is the time for you to stand up for righteousness. You would know because the seasons would change. When your life revolves around God, you would know. The key is to get the individual believer to have a personal revolution in Jesus where you revolt against your old spiritual laziness, your old bad spiritual habits, and you begin to seek after God. I want to challenge you this week not to worry. I want to challenge you this week not to be anxious concerning material things or the things of this life, but to have faith in God. To put him as number one. I would challenge you for the next seven days to wake up and seek God first. And see what happens in your life. I would challenge you to wake up a few minutes early. I know it sounds like I just cursed to tell you to wake up earlier. I know that people just like, esto no de Dios. I know somebody just rebuked me. I know someone just said I got up early enough. But how about you get up a little bit earlier and seek the Lord. You know Jesus was in Puerto Rican because he got up early in the morning to pray. David, too, he said, early in the morning will I seek you. And all I got from that was, I'll seek you. That early in the morning doesn't register with us for some reason. But you know what? There's a, there's a special time of day where God wants to meet you. It's been like that since the beginning of time. The Jewish, the Jewish day starts at 6 p.m. And if you read, the Bible talks a lot about Jesus going out to pray in the third watch. In the third watch. And so, and so in the third watch, three or four in the morning, Jesus would pray. In the third watch. Because there's a certain time where God would like to meet with you. There's a certain time. The Bible says that, and the first day was evening, then morning. Maybe you just messed that up. You're supposed to be awake in the darkness and asleep in the light. But we like to be asleep in the dark and awake in the light. I wish you would read your Bible. It's all there, I promise you. And the first day was evening and then morning. Because God would desire that while the darkness is shrouding around us, we would be alert looking for the enemy. That you would be alert looking for the enemy. Matthew chapter 11, I'm almost done. Verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God suffereth violence, but the violent take it by force. It's time where a generation rose up who would violently pursue God, violently pursue Jesus. I'm not talking physical violence, but a spiritual hunger that cannot be craved or removed. It cannot be taken from you. 
A spiritual violence where you would stop at nothing to seek after God. A spiritual violence where, where you would seek after God in the morning, noon, and night, and you would chase him, and you would tell him like, like Jacob did while he was wrestling with God, that I won't leave this place until you bless me. I won't leave this place until you bless me. Some of you, some of you are trying to, trying to go after the presence of God with the devil with you. You can't have both. There's a scripture where Jesus tells a story and he says, and he says, how can you, how can you rob the house of the strong man unless you bind him up first? Once you bind the strong man, then and only then can you rob his house. There's a strong enemy within you. There's a, a, a fleshly nature of sin in you that you have to get violent with. You have to engage in spiritual warfare and rebuke the enemy. You have to engage yourself in spiritual warfare and command the enemy to flee from your life. How can you get what God has for you with the devil living in your home? It's time that you created a violent nature inside of you that is not okay with sinful things. A violent nature inside of you that you stop cussing out your family and start rebuking the devil. If some of us would get angry at sinful things the way we get angry at people, we'd be like doing miracles. I wish you would chase after God the way you chase after somebody who cut you off on the highway. I wish you would pursue God the way you do when you're angry. Why have you not grown angry that people die without Christ? Why have you not grown angry that many of your family members don't know Jesus? Why? Why have you not grown angry that there's poverty in your family because you don't know how to manage money because there's a curse upon your family? Why have you not got angry with the devil but you're angry at people on the highway? Angry with your family for, 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 for the foolish things of life. Angry for little things. Ever since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God has suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. If you want to chase after God, you have to do it forcefully. Heaven's not for wimps. War is not for sissies. You have to chase after God. Don't you realize when you chase after him that things will try to stop you? Don't you realize when you go after him, the reason why your life has turmoil is because that is what Satan desires. He will throw things in your way. It's not for you to be distracted. It's for you to be understanding that it's time to engage in spiritual warfare. It's time to say, in the name of Jesus, I curse every, every curse coming across my family. I bind up every work of the enemy. I rebuke sicknesses and infirmities. I declare the greatness of God over my life. I declare the provision of God over my family. I come against every generational curse of drug addiction, homosexuality, and, and all the alcoholic spirits in your family. Have you rebuked them yet, or have you succumbed to the enemy? The violent take it by force. Come on, stand up with me. The violent take it by force. I'm not telling you to go home and punch some, punch some sinners. I'm just saying that you should chase after God. My friend, matter of fact, one of my, one of my elders in the church, one of my older gentlemen, he told me that he used to go to La Peña in, in the east side when he was a little kid, maybe about 30 years ago. And, and he... He had a friend who, who got saved, and his friend was like a big-time gang member. And, 
and the whole gang had gotten saved and he gave his life to God and he had kind of this innocence violence to him. And what happened was when he went into this little store, I hope I get the story right, he went into this little store and some guy said something bad about God and this dude went and just beat him up in the name of Jesus though. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an unquenchable hunger for Jesus. I'm talking about having that feeling where nothing else will do but Jesus. Come on, would you bow your heads with me this morning, this early afternoon, and we have about just four more minutes here, and we're going we're gonna to press this service forward, but I would challenge you right now. There's people here, there's people under the sound of my voice, and I know you want to pursue God. But as you've tried to draw near to God, everything has come against you. You've tried to center yourself on Jesus. You've tried to have that spiritual revolution that we've been talking about. You've tried, but it seems like everything gets in the way. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. I have a different kind of question today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I have a different question today. If you're under the sound of my voice and every time you try to seek after God, something seems to get in your way, I want you to lift your hand right now. If every time you try and draw near unto God, something tries to stop you, whether it's your old life, whether it's sinful things, a family member, whatever it is, and you feel hindered, come on, lift that hand as high as you can. Nobody's watching you. Every time you come in to the presence of God, something distracts you. Every time you try drawing near, something makes you stop. If you got your hand up, I want to let you know you're in the right path. You're in the right path. If you're here today, you're saying, well, I've been chasing after God and everything's fine. You're the one who should have your hand up because things might not be right in your life. Every day you wake up, the enemy should be coming after you because you are a servant of the Most High God. I'm looking for some God chasers in this place today to lift up a shout of praise, to lift up a prayer right now. I dare you to begin to pray right now. I dare you to begin to just utter a prayer right now and say, God, I need you. God, I want more of you. I want to be a God chaser, a pursuer of your presence. I want to be after your heart. I want to seek you. I want to know you, God. I desire you. I want to see change in my family and in my life. God, I desire you. I, I want to see an outbreak of your spirit. I want to know I want to know this forgiveness. I want to know this passion. If you can't take one more day living a regular life and you want to live that supernatural life in Jesus Christ, I dare you to begin to pray over your own life right now. I dare you to get violent with the enemy in your life and say, I'm not going to let you stand in my way. I will gain spiritual boldness in this moment and I will seek after God with all of my heart, with all of my heart, with all of my heart. I will pursue you. I will chase after you. I will in this moment. Dear Heavenly Father, you see our hearts. You see us standing before you. We just desire you. Lord, your word says the violent take it by force, God. Would you raise up a spiritual warrior in us? Would you raise up a spiritual titan in us who does not take anything from the enemy who's solely focused on you would you raise up in us Father God a fighter spirit God would you help us to get deeper into your presence we don't want to keep falling out of the bed Father God we want to go deeper God we want to go deeper into you God we desire you come on lift your hands right now all across this place come on as we go before the Lord in worship lift your hands come on 
He's here. He's here. If you have a need right now, I dare you to declare it. He's here in the midst of us.